Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Z, we're talking about refreshing the self. And this topic came up. I was working today with my producer. He came over, and we're just catching up, uh, just spending a little bit of time. How you doing? What's been going on? So it have says to me, you know, for me, it's it's just the grind. I've just been in the grind, just doing the grind. And then he reflected on it for a second. So he stepped back and he was like, I know some people who are out of the grind and they've gone on and they've made money and they're successful, but they missed the grind. And one day I'm going to be out of the grind and I'm going to miss the grind because grinding is what I know. I like grinding. This is what I do. And it was a comment. I don't think there was that much thought behind it. It was just an observation that he made, but it really started me thinking. So I'm thinking about the grind. And it's interesting to me because so often we talk about just going through the daily routines and we talk about it like it's this imposition or this weight that we have to bear. Like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm grinding. I'm trying to make it happen. And a lot of times it's in the context of, oh, there's something better around the corner. So I'm grinding it out now. I'm putting in the time and the effort. But one day I'm going to be on top or one day I'm going to have all the money. I'll be in a position where I don't have to worry about any of this. I'll be rocking it out. I'll have my mansion, my cars, my yachts, whatever the case is. But this comment was really interesting to me because it flipped all of that on its head. It's like, okay, you reach that point and you get to that point of success or whatever this dream is that you have in your mind. Where do you want to be? And what comes next? So maybe you enjoy that dream for a little bit, maybe for a few weeks, a few months, you're spending money, you're relaxing, you're partying, you're doing whatever you want to do. But then you still got to do something. You still got to wake up in the morning and move forward. And you have to refresh the self. You have to find something else that has some meaning, something else that you want to immerse yourself in, some way to evolve, either increase your impact or build your skill set, your knowledge. And by doing all of that, that means you put yourself right back in the grind. You put yourself in that position where things are a little bit uncomfortable, where you don't know how things are going to work out. You're maybe taking some risks. You're pushing some limits. Because uh, if you're not doing that, you're not moving forward. You're not feeling alive. You're not progressing. So, so much of life is actually being in that grind. It's in that process of, okay, this is a little bit uncomfortable, but it actually feels good. Or even if it it doesn't feel good at the moment, this is kind of what we have to do because that's the nature of being. We have to be in this position uh, where we're trying out new things, where we're improving ourselves, where we're taking whatever our passion is and we're bringing that to life. And then once we've done that, we can do it again at a bigger scale. Uh, it's kind of like a video game where you go through it and you play the easy level and you win everything, but you don't stop there. Then you go through it again, but now it's a harder level. It's some new challenge, some new puzzle to figure out. And that's what most of life is. I mean, it's not these moments where we've got success. Uh, sure, we have those, but you think about that as a percentage of life, that's a very small percentage. Uh, maybe we, we get the big deal that uh, we wanted to win, or we get uh, our company and we take that company public and we make a lot of money, uh, or we're famous, or wh whatever the, the milestone is, you can celebrate that. You get some Grammy award. And yeah, that's great for a minute, 
But most of your life, it's not going from celebration to celebration. It's being in the trenches and grinding things out. So as I started to think about the Z, it brought up a few things in my mind. Uh, one is this idea of refreshing the self and the fact that once we achieve something, we've always got to go back to the trenches and maybe we go back with more knowledge, more experience. We can start at a higher level, but we have to get back into that process, back into the grind. And a couple of things that I wanted your perspective on. One is because just being part of this grind is such a big part of life. How do we go through it and go through it in a way where we're enjoying it? And maybe we already are enjoying it. Maybe we're just not aware of it. But I feel like so much of our focus in life is how do I get to that next level that we forget about this process that we're a part of. So how do we make sure that whatever we're in, uh, we're appreciating it, we're valuing it, because we know that that's the essence of life. I mean, it's not something that we want to throw away. That's what living is. Uh, and then the other thing I want to cover as we get into this conversation is that once we get to a certain level, how do we think about going back and refreshing the self and thinking about what we need to do next to keep on moving forward, keep on evolving? So those are just some thoughts that I had from this conversation with Hev, my producer. Uh, but uh, why don't you give us your perspective? Yeah, Vin, I, I would say too, uh, we benefit from, from having a, a fondness for words. When you said enjoy, the Buddha said the purpose of life is joy. To enjoy, to immerse yourself in joy isn't being super happy, it isn't um, over-the-top manic, it isn't that. And this is the question, most people don't enjoy life. They don't enjoy the, the, the things of life because I, I would say a part of it is a fish doesn't enjoy water unless he's out of the water. We rarely enjoy things that we are not conscious of. So to enjoy life, one needs to be conscious of life. To be conscious of life requires an awareness of the transiency of life and that life isn't forever. We get far from that because we think this is forever. We really think it's forever. And in doing that, we are not embracing, enjoying, enveloping in the joy everyday being, just everyday being. Sometimes joy is a learning experience. Sometimes joy is a moment of self-awareness. Sometimes joy is reuniting with, reconnecting in a moment. <laughs> Edit that out, Caleb. And, um, I think first, sitting with ourselves and understanding joy. That is why when people are caught up in mundane routines, um, devoid of any reverence, as we say, grinding away, biding our time, there is neither enjoyment nor unenjoyment. There's nothing. It's, we're just in purgatory. But it's not on the things we're doing. It's on us. I have found people who can find extraordinary joy in the most simple and common things that we do. And those people, 
I find to be in a spectrum of enlightenment. I wish to mimic that because when you find yourself enjoying being alive, it takes a lot less for you to find happiness because joy and happiness are next door neighbors. As were grief and sorrow live around the block. So they're not far apart. And you can kind of decide who you're hanging out with. You could sit with a person, go through an episode of grief, woe and misery. Just an example. Uh, somebody you care for passes away. And you get with friends, shared loved ones, and you go there and you're all lamenting the death, right? But right next to you is a living, breathing person that adores and supports you. What is the respite from that grief is the joy of the existence of somebody with you. So which do you nurture, the grief or the joy? It's a fool's answer. I mean, it's kind of easy, but many people don't get it. So when we think about moving through life and the grind, our attachment to the grind has a lot to do with our spectrum of enlightenment. Many people can grind because they're working towards something. They feel like, like they're building a bridge to somewhere. They're paving the road to somewhere. And I've known people who have done every manner of job and they did the job well, but they never did the job with the sense they would always do that job. Right? I always tell the funny stories of my boy Shock G, right? And if I were to take it from his death backwards, he would tell me about amazing jobs. He was an amazing car detailer. And I would find out weird stuff about him just being his friend. Like we'd go wash the car and he said, I don't want anybody to wash my car. I used to work at one of the best car washes in Tampa. I said, what'd you do there? He says, like the movie Car Wash. I was a car wash guy. I was a detail guy. I said, really? He said, yeah. And then I would get to know the customer by the way they kept their car. And I would either tell them where to get drugs or girls or whatever else they liked. And I would get a cut of that but I could detail cars really good. And what? But I, it was a means. It was one of the things I did to get here. I didn't know where here would be, but I knew I wasn't going to be there. It was a thing and I did it well. He also transported cars. So he was an extraordinary driver. He could have raced as a professional race car driver. He was also a shoe salesman. And he knew everything about women's shoes to the point where I often accused him of having a foot fetish. So he worked at shoe stores. But all of those things led him to a world-renowned, being a world-renowned artist. But that wasn't the end for him either. After his death, he did all kinds of other things. Animal rights activism, all kinds of crazy stuff. So he was always enjoying life. 
participating in activities. And, and so he could do the most mundane things and he seemed at peace, not over the top happy, but it was only when he was alone and he sought the approval of others, that was his undermining. I use that as an example, Vin, because if we work on being on a particular spectrum of enlightenment, we can transition and be many different things in the same, in the same body. Kaylin and I were talking, all of us were talking earlier, and we were talking about the concept in Chinese medicine of Jing, Xin, and Qi. And I'll have Caitlin explain it so I can preserve my lovely voice. We talked about the candle. Go for it. All right. So the, the candle, the wax itself, how it's built, how it is, is, represents the Jing. The, essence, the prenatal essence. Prenatal essence. The wick is the qi. It's the how the energy moves through the uh, candle. And then the flame is the shen, the eminence. How that energy is expressed. How it's expressed. Uh, so that's a good... Apply that to everyday people. Um, how you would do that is... Well, we were talking about using... Or when people uh, maybe are sick and for reference, like if they're going through cancer treatments, right? But they have a really good attitude. Uh, the Shen is still really bright. I often heard when I was going through treatment, like people would still say like, oh, but you're glowing. Right, right. And I would joke and say it's the radiation. But really it was just because as I was going through it, I was just keeping a positive yeah. attitude and... Um, even though my, uh, my candle basement, that, that primordial essence was, uh, challenged. Uh, so that's, yeah, I, I feel like you would also see it too. Um, well, we talked about how you see people, we didn't want to use the word dark, but if they come to you and, and you could tell when people are in a mood and it's like a cloud covering, <laughs> The dimming, of the, light. the dimming of the light. Yeah, that's how you put it. And that's that's that same idea. Like just the flame is just like if you have a candle that's about to go out. It's just like the flame gets dimmer and dimmer. Sure, sure. And I, I kind of want to elaborate on that as we talk about the same thing Hev was talking about. If we use those terms and those ideas, which I like because what I hope we can all do in our opt-out community and as we really explore the strange new world, as we get further and further into Alice or Andy's wonderland, for those of us who are opting out of that, as we leave, we have to, uh, or we benefit ourselves by developing another way of speaking, another structure and narrative of how we frame the world that we are trying to create. And if you use some of the classics, like for example, in TCM or any of the ancient um, languages and appreciate the tens of thousands of years that these concepts were developed prior to us seeing them in this very short window of time, there's a lot to it. So when you think about what Caitlin said, the candle, the wick, the fire, the jing, the prenode essence, the chi, the wick, the shin, 
the expression of the glow. Let's apply that to all of us. So you have whatever your mom and dad and your ancestors gave to you. That's what you start in this world with. You come out, you're just here. But you're trying to fight, you're trying to find your way in the world. You have a certain amount of energy, but no way to express it. But you have a desire to be here. So that flame is kind of there, but it's undirected. And then you're imprinted with idea and form, just like making candles, different shaped candles. You have this big blob of wax and you can make a round candle, a zebra candle, a car candle. You've seen them, any kind of candle you want. That's who we are. And so you get into the world and somebody tells you, hey, you're a bus driver. I said earlier about a woman that came in here who's very smart. By the way, the woman is very smart. I forget her name. But I asked her, I said, well, that's why I was impressed with her level of inquisitiveness. And what I mean by she's smart is I find that in, in my experience with people, my living experience with people, is I find that people who are inquisitive tend to be very intelligent. People who aren't ashamed or embarrassed to ask questions and they walk around with notebooks are typically very smart people. It's not the sum total of an object, it's their inquisitiveness, the investigative urge. That's a sign of high intelligence. They're not attached to one idea of knowing. They want to know more or they'd like to know why, right? It's what we used to call years ago before the word itself was corrupted. The term Aryan meant seeker of knowledge. Now, of course, it means a white supremacist. But a long time ago, it meant a seeker of knowledge. So if you had a child that would just say, why? You tell them, what you, hey, go to bed. Say, why? Uh, don't play on the roof. Why? It's annoying, but they have a good question. And the more that you explain to them, the more they, they understand and they want to know more. So those seekers of knowledge, this one was obviously a seeker of knowledge. And she was asking, I said, man, that's, you ask some interesting questions, ma'am. By the way, what do you do for a living? She said, I'm a bus driver. I said, wow, a bus driver. That's how she identified herself. That was the candle form she held. And as she's come in a number of times, I got to know her. She said, she would just talk about medical stuff. And I said, hey, do you have a family? She said, yeah, I have older children. I have kids. But they're not interested in this. I am. So she didn't identify herself as a mother, as a grandmother. She identified herself as a bus driver. And I was like, wow. And she said, yeah, I injured myself and I may go back to it, but I'm going to have to find something else to do. I'm thinking about getting into the medical field. So this is a well-adjusted person that is adaptive. Many people can't transition from one grind to another because they don't have a clear sense of the self, the chi that flows through the middle. The jing essence, you can structure it in a number of ways. The chi that flows through it can be clearly moved or it can be disrupted, but it will inevitably affect the shin. And the shin then responds to the universe itself. As Caitlin said, if she's a bus driver and she's gloomy, 
her shin is weak. If she's a bus driver and she's happy and glowing, her shin is strong. If she's sitting there whistling, I'm getting the fuck out of here, I'm not going to be a bus driver. She has really healthy chi and jing. So that's what we all want to be like that. We want to know that we can be malleable. That even though we have certain restrictions within the jing, it can be shaped in innumerable ways. Your mom and dad may have not given you all the physical tools or the intestinal fortitude in one way, but you can make up for it in other ways in your enthusiasm, your ardor, and the cultivating of your chi. So when we think about things we do, let's say, hey, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get out of the grind. Say that with intention, but also, what would I do if I wasn't doing this? We spoke before we were recording about domestic abuse. Why do so many people go back to extraordinarily abusive situations? Because the whole of them is the design. That's the candle they are. And they believe that they cannot be anything else because the shin is low. Their shin is relative and reflected upon that of the union they're in. So the other person gives them identity, or even the suffering gives them identity. It's like a candle looking in a mirror, looking in a mirror, looking in a mirror. Each one is less bright. So here we have that case of the woman who drove, whose husband drove her and the kids off the cliff. It's a pretty open and shut case as far as open and shut cases go. There's nothing vague about it. There's the internal and external recordings. He was angry or bitter at his family, emotionally disturbed. But due to the whim of the universe and the visitation of fate, they all survived. Now the woman doesn't want him charged at all. Not from tearing up the guardrail, not from wrecking the car, and not from trying to kill her. Their whole community is rallying around the guy to save the community embarrassment. They don't want to be embarrassed. By the way, this is happening in many, many other micro-communities. Something about small communities of people that um, affects the shin. You know something is batshit crazy, but because it's affiliated with you, you want to have a different bar associated with it. Well, lucky for society, or whatever, if you want to call it that, they've changed the domestic violence rules, that if you do that type of crime, you go to jail. The person doesn't have to press charge because we know you're mentally disturbed. But her, whole, the whole of her, is tied into whatever identity has been bestowed upon her by others. So her candle wick needs to be lit and maintained by others for her to even exist. And that is why in order for her to exist, she needs to go back to these horrible situations. Many people die right after they retire. You hear the story all the time. They retired and dropped dead. There's a few reasons. For one, they gave everything to their job. 
And by the time they left the job, there was nothing left of them. They depleted their jing and their chi. And the shin was the remnants of their career. My dear friend who uh, died of cancer after working with the fire department all these years, he had been retired for less than a year. <coughs> Immune system gone. Had many, many years, I would say, left in him, but his immune system was gone. He gave it all to the work. His chi was depleted from long hours. And his shin was depressed because of his title being withdrawn. And it was amazing and depressing being at his funeral and they had a big, they wheeled in a big bomb uh, uh, EOD uniform, big helmet padding. They wheeled that in and that, that's who he was to all those people. But the man I knew was nothing to them. They knew nothing about that person. So as long as we have self-agency and, and, and just a door crack of enlightenment, we can transition from many grinds to others, different careers, different jobs, different situations. We can have different variances of how we interact with our family. We can, we can move through the different roles. We can have the ebbs and flows if our shin is not dependent on another person's reflection of us. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, it's interesting. You see this phenomenon a lot. You talked about people who retire and then they end up dying soon soon afterward. I see somewhat a similar situation. I, I've, I guess, seen a few examples of people who die, but there are a lot who just don't know what to do with themselves. There are a lot who prolong retirement because they don't have any identity once they stop the job. And all of their power, all of their sense of self came from just being in the seat. I remember years ago, there was a story of this trader who it was making something like $50 million a year. This was before the financial crisis. And this person just felt like he was on top of the world and could do whatever he wanted because he was making so much money. But he was part of a big firm and he ended up leaving to set up his own business. And it turned out that once he did that, no one wanted to have anything to do with him. And so they wouldn't take his calls. They wouldn't call him back. He was trying to raise money. He wasn't able to raise money because his entire reason for being someone that someone else wanted to talk to was the seat that he inhabited, the job title that he had, the organization that he was affiliated with. He didn't have anything else to offer independent of that. So that's one example. There's another person that I've come across who thought that he was going to have to retire. And he's your age. See, maybe actually a few years, well, probably right around your age is a uh, he had a pretty long career, thought that he was going to retire, and then found out that he was actually taking a different job in the organization. And when he announced this to everyone, 
the way he talked about it, it was like a kid on Christmas morning. Like, oh, yes, I get to stay. I get to keep on going into work every day and putting on a suit and wandering the halls and showing people my business card. Because I wasn't in the guy's head, but I would imagine he was probably either terrified or empty, had no idea what he would do or who he was if he wasn't in that seat. So you see that. You see examples of people when their spouse dies, and granted, that's a lot more traumatic than going through retirement, but still, you have couples, and one of them dies, and then the other one has nothing to live for anymore. It's like your entire life, your sense of self is wrapped up in the other person, and so you go through a depression, or even if it's not an explicit depression, you lose the will to live. And a lot of times, after one person dies in a relationship, the remaining spouse, the surviving spouse, ends up dying in the next six months, 12 months, uh, soon afterward. Uh, So that phenomenon, I've seen a lot. And it's interesting to me because you're right. I mean, I really like this candle analogy that you have, that we can assume so many different forms. We can constantly reinvent ourselves. We can burn ourselves down. And we're just this molten pool, this liquid, uh, like water, formless, fluid, but we assume the shape of whatever container we're in. So we just have to be clear on what that is. How do we want to express ourselves? What direction do we want to take our lives? Uh, So I think one of the questions that I'll raise with UZ is what prevents us from doing that? Because a lot of times you see one of two things. I mean, either you see people who are in the grind, and as we talked about, they just want to get out of it, but they haven't given any thought to what comes after that. So it's, okay, let me get out of this. And then suddenly everything will magically be solved. Uh, l- let me just get to retirement. And then you get to retirement and guess what? You've never built character. You've never built interests. You've never built hobbies. You have no idea what to do with yourself. Uh, so life isn't the dream that you imagined. Or you attain everything that you ever wanted. Uh, Jim Carrey made this point. I think he said that the scariest thing he realized, he got to a point where every single dream that he had was fulfilled. Everything he'd hoped for when he was growing up, when he was grinding it out in the industry, he'd achieved, and yet he still wasn't content. He still wasn't happy. And that was the most terrifying thing for him because it's kind of like, okay, then who am I? What's next? What is actually going to fill this void inside of me? So you've got that situation where people maybe mistakenly are stepping away from the process and focusing on the result, uh, or you get people who are locked in. And maybe, as you say, Z, it's because they see themselves as a reflection. Uh, They see themselves through the lens of how the world sees them, or they're in whatever box that they've been told, you have to stay in the sandbox, you can't go out of it. This is who you are. I mean, I feel like I was in that situation for a long time, and I always sensed that something was wrong. I mean, I always felt like this wasn't a good fit, but I didn't know what else to do. It, It was the only option that I thought that I had. So you get stuck in this path. And maybe it works for a while, but you're kind of waiting to die, or even if you're not waiting to die, maybe you get some satisfaction, but you don't really feel like you're expressing yourself the way that you want to, that you're having the impact that you could, that you're living the right way. I remember I had a conversation with a friend years ago, and he said he observed that so many problems that people have is because they just ain't living right. I think that's how he put it. You're just not living right. You're not doing what you're here to do. You're not living in a way that's fundamental, that's giving you something back, that's making good use of this gift that we have of time and energy. And yeah, you don't have to be some superstar on the cover of magazines, but do something that has some meaning. And you're the one who can define that meaning. So again, are we at a point in our lives where we're expressing ourselves 
in a way that makes us feel alive, in a way that makes us feel content? Or are we just stuck in the same rut, that same swim lane, because we don't know how to navigate or how to reformulate ourselves, you know, how to burn that wax down and then turn it into something else? So let's talk about that for a second, Z. I mean, maybe talk about some of the fears that we have that hold us back, or maybe it's just blinders that we put on. But what is it that's holding us back, and how do we get out of that? How do we get to, to more of this fluid state where we can keep on expressing ourselves in different ways? We can, we can keep on refreshing that sense of self. Well, Vin, there's a few things you said. There was the element of fear, and I don't know much about that, and, and you guys know me. Uh, I gave up on that a long time ago. Um, I, don't, I live so close to death, I'm not afraid of living. But for many people, fear is... A, a dominant dictator of what they do. In your case, I believe that was the case. I look at you now. I looked at your performance the other night. I couldn't imagine you not doing that. Did you hear a show from the other night where he came on and the guy said, what are you trying to do, sell us insurance? He did a great show. And I couldn't imagine you not doing that. But it wasn't that long ago that you didn't do that. You didn't do your show. You didn't do your spoken word. You didn't shine your light. You didn't let your candle burn. You, it was like a biblical thing you were doing. They, they asked the question in one of these, I think, Judeo-Christian belief systems, what manner of person would hide their light under a bushel basket? Let your light shine so it can guide all men to the glory of divinity or the glory of God or something like that. You understand what they're saying? Do you. Do you. This is divinity expressing itself. When we suppress our light or we channel it so other people can tell us it's okay, then you are suppressing that divinity. When you let your light shine, it becomes many candles can be seen from space. Many candles can be seen from sea and guide us to land. One candle you can't. It can be easily obscured by mist or haze or dust. And that's when you don't have agency of yourself. We also have reasons of suppressing our light because maybe we have a sense of gift and liability. We have overwhelming liability to something or somebody. Maybe our duty calls for us to not expose that part of us for we would not want to blind people with our light. There are, I was reading an article about a very dynamic woman in a relationship with a very mediocre man. And for years she repressed herself to maintain the relationship, to make sure he didn't feel like she was uh, had greater achievements in the world than him. And one day in a conversation, they had a casual conversation, and she, she said something like, I wish you'd get back to doing what you really love. That's why I fell in you. And the woman said, I didn't want to do it because I thought it would bother you. He said, no, it's always bothered me that you do that. I was so proud of what you could do. And, and so she had suppressed herself thinking it would preserve her relationship, but actually it subdued her relationship. And once she started being herself, they became, they developed an even stronger bond. So without that self-awareness, you can't really, you can't be a part of that that is a guiding light to the others in humanity and even yourself. 
Caitlin reminded me of something that said in the Dharma, right livelihood. Is that what you mentioned, Caitlin? Like right, right livelihood. Rindin said that uh, his person said, you're not living right. Right. And that's what they mean. You're not living right. What do you want to do? For some people, that may have been everything. For somebody else, it may have been an imprisonment. I always say, do you. But in order to do you, it takes a lot of introspection and personal work. You got to work on yourself because so much of the I am meditation or doing you is about knowing how others reflect upon you. You're many different people to many different people. To my kids, I'm just dad, Baba. To my wife, I'm just Z. ZZB, whatever she calls me. To others, I'm Master Z. Somebody else, I'm Dr. Z. To old friends, I'm Z. And to some people, I'm all those things in the course of a day. I find it one of the warmest things when my older son is talking. He said, yeah, let's go over to Z's place. That's my dad. It just feels great. Or when my nephew John just said, yeah, I'm over at Z's place. You know, my uncle. I'm a lot of different people to them. But I'm always me, and I, I really enjoy that. I've been uh, working with one of my clients, and he has an entourage that comes, and I befriended one of the kids who happens to be named Z, Zayed. And we had an immediate attraction to one another. Just a nice connection. He's one of us. You met Zayed? He's one of us when he comes with Matula. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. He's like one of us. Mm -hmm. He starts working on the bag. So I did the usual routine. I told you I beat him up. Then he started hanging out. Then we just start talking. And today we had a talk in the parking lot. He said, yeah, I got to go, man. I got to go to child custody court. I'm fighting for my kid. I said, I've been through that too. We start talking about it. And he says, Master Z, our lives are parallel. You've done everything I'm doing in my life, but you did it 30 years ago. I want to hang out with you so I can see what my life's going to be like. So I may not make some mistakes. I want to... I said, man, I would love that. And then I can live vicariously through you and figure out these young people. I can figure it out. No, really, it's... Kaylin shakes her head and gives me this kind of weird look. But this is a curious world for me. The world you guys live in is different than the generations of many other people. We are literally living in Alice in Wonderland. Truth is offensive. Facts are only facts if everybody enjoys the facts. Science is a lie and hurtful. Everybody wins. No one's accountable and everyone's entitled. I have no recall of a world like that. Um, so excuse me when I talk like that because I am fascinated. So when I meet younger people who have the characteristics of the world I remember, I like to be around them. I 
I learn. It's like they're interpreters of chaos to me. Tell me how this works. And they can explain it, not in a weird new word, word salad thing, but they, they can interpret things for me. Yeah, this is how things work. And they, for some reason, certain ones are able to see the generational shift. They see when the wall came down. It wasn't gradual. Ten years isn't a long time. The computer has accelerated our change, our evolution or de-evolution de at such a rapid rate. That's all I'm saying. So make fun of me if you will, but it is fascinating to me. You know what I'm saying, Vin? Yeah, I definitely know what you're saying. I mean, I'm maybe in that generation in between where I haven't grown up with technology, but I've seen how quickly everything has changed. And I agree. I mean, it feels like just a, a completely crazy world. Crazy because of where we are. So everything is upside down. And I check this with other people. I've got a friend, a few years older than I am, but not that much older. He's maybe around 50. And uh, he's an Indian guy. So he's in the UK and we were texting back and forth. And we were uh, just exchanging some thoughts about what's happening in finance and what's happening in the world. And he was talking about how everything is upside down. And it was, it, it was interesting. He, he knows a lot about Indian philosophy, uh, but he was saying exactly the same things that we've been saying and you've been saying, uh, that everything is the exact opposite of what you would expect. And it's the twilight of the Kali Yug, and it, it's a bad omen, and the, the world is going down, and it's headed towards its own destruction. It, that's what it feels like. I mean, I, I don't want to be dire about this, and maybe I'm wrong, uh, I don't know. Things could turn out in a lot of different ways. I, I don't know if it's dire or not dire. It's just an observation. And as we're talking about, we're talking about identity, how we identify ourselves. And is it us identify ourselves? Is it others? I think there's a, a greater portion of people that identify themselves or need to be affirmed by others outside of themselves. They are not self-affirming. They're not okay with them. Thus, there's a huge amount of energy spent on declarations of all kinds, symbolism of all kinds. I saw a thing in the, the shit show of politics the other day where one of these politicians jumped up and said, we should all say the Pledge of Allegiance before we start. And he got a lot of pushback. He said, but you're one of the most unpatriotic dudes we ever met, demanding everybody say and parrot something patriotic. It takes no effort to just say words. You're already a politician, which makes you two steps below a used car salesman. Anything you say is suspicious. And any intention you have of saying it. I didn't realize that, I think it's Congress or Senate, they have no requirements to be a congressman or senator. I didn't even know that. You can actually run for office in prison. Did you know that? I, didn't. I had no idea. You know you can't vote if you're in prison or if you've been convicted of felonies. But you could be in Congress or Senate if you are. And the guy went on this whole thing and demanding this patriotic symbolism. 
And the fact that we live in a world where we can even entertain and discuss this is what I'm saying, Vin, is you're not wrong. I don't think what we're seeing, we have to question ourselves. And most of us who are opted out know, we know that we're in crises. What the crises will lead to, I don't know. But we know that. There was just a big train derailment somewhere. Ohio. Ohio. And an extraordinarily toxic chemical started streaming. I was reading an article about it. So the train ruptures open. So apparently for years and years, there's been a journalist and people complaining about the trains and the lack of safety and the sheer number of death, accidents, cancer in this area. And they were waiting for a horrible accident to happen. It happens. The stuff is running out of the train tracks. This is what I didn't know. They got tractors to mow a big trench so that this chloride, vinyl chloride, something, something could flow into it. And did they vacuum it up and try to prevent the spillage? No. Caitlin, they set it on fire. And they said the gas cloud was so toxic that they had to clear the airway. They had to not let airplanes fly over it. Like for a, 50 miles. Mm -hmm. It looks like a big mushroom cloud, like a nuclear And they, they evacuated thousands of people. Why can they do this and continue to do this? Because we as a general population have people that are like those people out of WALL-E. Remember that cartoon movie called WALL-E? People are sitting behind their computers, grotesquely obese, ruminating about pronouns and word salad and things that don't really count. They're now selling rats in New York supermarkets. They call them guinea pigs. I don't know if you've seen that, Vin. But because of the chicken, was there a chicken shortage or something back east? It was the aviation flu. Okay. That's why their eggs are so expensive. The avian flu. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, so they've replaced it with a type of a rat. And people are readily accepting this justification. That's not part of a healthy food chain. But nobody is pushing back against that, but they are pushing back against David Chappelle. But even that pushback doesn't work unless enough people buy it, right? So my concern and Vince's concerns are real concerns. Um, and I just want to get that. So our identity, our light, our shin, our gene is clear to us. That's what's different. I know me. I've been me all my life. I've been evolving, growing, but I've always been me. And you've been around me long enough to know, Caitlin, you see people I haven't seen in years. And what do they say to you? Z's always been like that. Not that I'm stuck in one way. It's just that I've been on this journey all my life. That it is a predictable journey because I know myself, not because I looked outside myself to be 
to be appeased or appeal to someone else. You look for other people's approval, they'll always be their slave. Let's keep it simple. You know what I'm saying, Vin? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's why we've got so much trouble with what's happening in the world. I wouldn't even say trouble. It's just shocking because it's kind of like you are who you are. And against that backdrop, which is somewhat unchanging, the form is going to change. So you go on your adventure in life, you do what you do, circumstances change over time. But the core of you is the same. And maybe values are the same. What you care about is the same. What gives you life and animates you, similar things. We, at Dharma, we talk a lot about Eastern philosophy. So a lot of the principles that we live by that go into our life practice, uh, they come from classical Eastern texts, uh, from Buddhism, from Taoism, and so forth. And that's stuff that's been around for thousands of years. So you take that almost as an invariant. But against that, we've got a world which is changing at an incredibly rapid pace, and going in directions that don't seem to make any sense. I mean, that seem to violate what what I would call common sense, seem to violate the laws of nature in some ways, at the very least, seem to undermine people's health. So you think about physical health, mental health, quality of life, all of these are going downhill. But like the train that you mentioned that was derailed, it seems that there's no stopping this train. It just keeps on going and going and collecting speed until there's some catastrophe. So I look back even in the last 10 years, I mean, I, I really think about maybe 2010 as a significant turning point where enough people had cell phones, social media was big enough or starting to get big enough, and that coincided with cancel culture. And it's sort of like, from that point on, the rate of change in the world has been phenomenal. We're just changing at an incredibly rapid pace, uh, and we're going in directions that I think are damaging at a very rapid pace. There doesn't seem to be anyone who can turn this around maybe because the trends have been around or the underlying drivers have been building for so long that there's no way to move except forward and, and see what happens is we keep on going through this craziness. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for someone who hasn't grown up with cell phones, who hasn't grown up with cancel culture, with these cultural wars that we have, with extreme polarization, with just things that, I mean, the amount of censorship uh, which I guess has always been around to some extent, but it just seems to increase and increase and increase wherever you look. Uh, you could take a look at, at crypto. I mean, of course, you've always had speculative bubbles, but the crypto thing it takes it to a new level. Social media takes trends around decreasing attention spans and insecurity and validation to a new level. Uh, so the things that we know are self-destructive, those habits are uh, just taking on a life of their own and, and spiraling out of control. Uh, so it, I don't know. I feel like we've gotten a little bit off topic from uh, the original discussion around the grind. I, I do think that maybe the commonality is having that clear sense of self because as we're part of a world that's moving in all these directions that none of us individually has the ability to affect. I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to go out and say, Hey everyone, let's let's stop what we're doing. Let's sit back and relax and take a deep breath. No one's going to listen, or maybe you've got a small percentage of people who listen. But ultimately, it's what we talked about is as opt outs, where we can influence ourselves, but we can't necessarily change the broader direction. Uh, but we need that clarity, and maybe that's what brings us back to the beginning of this discussion, as we talked about how do we refresh the self, 
How do we keep on moving forward? How do we keep on evolving, but do so in a way that is authentic, where we're living right, and we're living in a way that feels vital. We're not succumbing to whatever the trend is of the day. We're filtering out social movements that can be incredibly destructive. We're wading through everyone else's expectations of us that may be in our best interest or they may not. How do we maintain that confidence and that fortitude to do what we need to do to keep on refreshing ourselves, recharging ourselves? Uh, to me, it comes down to doing what you're doing, see, or what you say that you've always done, just being clear on who you are. Uh, so you've got this backdrop of a world that's changing. Maybe at some points it's changing more slowly, some it's changing more rapidly. But as long as you have your own constant and your own clarity about what you stand for, what you care about, it, maybe that's the ultimate survival guide. I mean, that's how we navigate these times. That's how we make sure that we can evolve as we need to evolve, but we do so on our own terms. Uh, otherwise, I, I think of like a ball in the ocean, which is floating around and whatever direction the wind blows or you get some errant wave, it, you end up lurching from one direction to another. And, and then you feel insecure and you feel anxious and you, you never achieve anything because you're never going in a direction long enough to, to do anything productive. Uh, so th that's the sort of thing that I think we need to step away from. So I, I don't know if that, that resonates, but as you're talking, those are the things that come to my mind. Well, we, we benefit, all of us, greatly, especially those who are uh, 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 venturing into this opt-out um, philosophy. Sitting back and looking at things that are, are really, uh, they just don't work. They're not sustainable. As I said, I, I used to say about 20 years ago, I remember coming back from a long study in India. And I came back to the States. And, and, and for a while, I had been in villages and in rural areas for a while. And after you're there for a while, you don't miss a lot of things, right? You think you're going to miss all these things, these conveniences of the cities. And I realized after a while, I didn't miss any of those things. I had access to good food, good showers. Um, I, had, I was around nice people, uh, kind of went to bed early. You got up you went to bed early, you got up early, you got so much done in a day, the stress was low and I came back and it was just so much chaos that it was really hard to get back into the grind. To, and that's what it felt like. It felt like a grind. It felt painful. It was uncomfortable. And I realized that we lived in a world that no longer this world, this reality, there was no longer right or wrong anymore. It was about, is it sustainable? Can you keep doing this thing and for how long? It wasn't, there was no longer that gauge of this is a good thing or bad thing. Stealing, taking, consuming, there was no limit. And that was the beginning of the obesity crisis, right? So you see the gluttony, the avarices, what are what those things they, they call all the, the avarices, right? Like gluttony, greed, envy, jealousy, all of these things. Yeah, the just, seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins. All these things had just run amok. And why are they sins? Be, because they weren't sustainable. And you do it until it can't be done anymore. Then you move and do the next other thing. And I started thinking then, I, I don't, I don't want to nurture that. I'm going to stick to me. I'm going to do me. I'm going to be my own candle. 
and not as a rugged individual, but I wanted it to, I wanted to distinguish me from the others. I didn't want to be so lost in other person in other person's light that my light disappeared. I just didn't want to do what everybody was doing. And I think there's a lot of us like that. Yet the voice is not as loud, and the collective lumens of the candles, they say they list on a light candle watt power, right? How many candle watts? How many candles does your light equal? And the more we come together, the brighter our light is. The more we can work ideas together, the more we can make things happen, the more we can have a consensus of ideas because this other light is very, very consuming. It's, 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 it's like a whiteout in a, a snowstorm. They have something called a whiteout. It's so much snow, you, the light reflects it. It blinds you. You become snow blind where you can't see anything. And that's, we're moving into that type of snow blindness with all the madness that is around us. And for me, it is madness because I was raised with conventional math and cursive writing and weights and measures and scales and slide rules and figured out how to get around the world. And keeping true to yourself by first knowing yourself and then navigating yourself on a path and following the, the, the light of your candle and joining when somebody has another bright light, you guys can see the way. You can have good ideas. You can have harmony in your life. You can have things that work out in a nice way. And then from there, you build maybe principles, ideas, and ethics that keep you on track, principles that keep you going in the right direction, like a person sailing the sea. They're talking about these young girls who navigated the sea by themselves, and they followed those principles. They have shared idea, shared intention, followed known principles, ancient shipping routes. They had a sextant, and they followed the stars, which were more reliable than their GPS. It never failed them, and they were able to circumnavigate the globe. Two little girls. If they can do that, then we could find a way to be true to ourselves. We can find a way as we step out of this. Look, this is a mess. As we step out of that and we don't step in the shit of this thing, we want to be able to use these classical tools to navigate ourselves to a good place in our short lives. So be able to change from one grind to another. And eventually, when you get out of the grind, you don't long for the grind. You mentioned then when we first started talking, why people in the military long for the military? Why do people who were in prison sometimes long for things of prison? The healthier people know they will never want to go back, military, prison, institute. But they also take with them, they understood the value of clarity of duty, what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to be, how it works, when my role begins and when my role ends. People like clarity. Here, outside in the world, not a lot of clarity, right? A lot of fence straddling, a lot of comfort with uncertainty.
a lot of vagueness. People speak in vague ways. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and and she was describing criminals and behaviors, and obviously people who were mentally ill. And she was just saying, oh, everything's okay. If you feel that way, that's okay. But blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> so as she mentioned a mental illness of somebody, she would apologize and say, it's just an alternative way of being. It's okay as long as you don't kill somebody. Well, they're stabbing animals in the head and they're, they're doing taxidermy in their room. That's not okay. But she said, I don't want to knock it. Because maybe you have a legitimate reason to be a taxidermy. You just don't have the financial resources. You're not privileged enough to have your own uh, hobby center. No, you don't have to explain all that. You don't do taxidermy in a room with another person that doesn't have, want anything to do with it. You don't bring dead animals to a room and cut them open. But nowadays, we can't say that. For it may offend another taxidermist who is in the dorm room chopping up. You understand what I'm saying? It's like everything's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay to be minor attracted. You bother, I, and I found out a horrible statistic that the number one group of children who are molested, sexually molested, are kids who are special eds and infants. Because they can't talk. I, there's no way to sit there and justify that. Maybe there is. Like maybe there is in this world. I'm not a part of it. I, I, can't, I can't condone that or justify it or look deeper into it. Right? Leave people the hell alone. There, and, and so this is all I'm saying is that when you're clear on who you are, you can't be guided and cajoled into things that aren't sustainable, they aren't natural, they are out of line with nature and the, the idea of a, just a, a better society. If we could find a way to get our own path, opt out of this, let them be them, and then find some layer of respect of boundaries. I believe the schools will have to go back to being segregated in many different ways, not only by race, but by religion and social ideologies. I think we'll be coming to that place in the next decade. Parents of children can't take it anymore. I think they banned certain educational topics in Florida. They're promoting stuff in other places. So not just racial segregation, but ideological segregation. And maybe the opt-outs, we, we want to start thinking about ways of doing that in a quiet, passive, boycotting kind of way so we can actually survive on however long we got on this planet before the forever chemicals in the train company lights up more stuff in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah, we got a certain amount of time, and I think that the less we can be distracted by everything that's going on, the better. The less energy we put into it, the better. The more we forge our own path, as we've talked about, find communities of the like-minded, the better off we are. And just one final thought I had on this topic, Z, 
getting back to the beginning of the conversation about the grind and enjoying the grind and some of the comments about joy, it reminds me of what Sri Aurobindo said. He talked about how the nature of life is joy, but we're not privy to that because it's so familiar. It's kind of like your comment about the fish in the water. If you got water around you all the time, you don't even know that water exists because you have nothing to compare it to. And that life has become so familiar that we forget that the underlying state of being is joyful. And one thought I have on that is that when we're in a state of anxiety or a state of urgency, as many of us are, and we feel like we have to go, 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 we have to do the next thing, we have to avoid catastrophic outcomes, we're in the state where we're hunkering down and it's not a state conducive to being connected to the world, to being in the present. And maybe that's why we've lost sight of the process and the value of the grind and and just, just breathing in the joy of existence because we always feel like death is around the corner or some horrible outcome is right there or we have to do all of these things, otherwise terrible things will happen. But if we put that aside and we get to a place where we've got more of that peace of mind. I was interested to hear your experience about being out of the city and thinking that you were going to miss it and actually being disappointed to come back. And I can relate to that because when you clear away all of the dust, it actually is just very pleasant to be alive. I was out on vacation a few weeks ago and there was no stress, no cell phones, just enjoying the company. I was with my wife and we're enjoying each other's company. I mean, it was beautiful. It was like some of the best days of my life. So why aren't we in that state more? You know, why do we lose sight of that in the day to day? Uh, And maybe just having that awareness and being able to filter out all of this madness, all of this chaos, of course, it doesn't serve us, but it also blinds us. And we put that aside and hey, things are actually pretty good. Yeah, Vin, again, if you know who you are, one of the biggest things about finding joy and general contentment, again, that doesn't mean there won't be kind of challenging days for you, but you'll always, you'll never hit that rock bottom if you know yourself. Through grief, through sorrow, through despair, through disappointment, you get up and you you can persevere, you can take another step. I was talking to a doctor friend of ours the other day And his philosophy, he does um, both uh, Western and and Eastern medicine. He's into herbs and pharmaceuticals. And when you go there for a formula from him, he bombards you with everything he has. And I I said, yeah, that's, that's, I, I dig it. Why do you do that? And he said, you know, I've lost a few family members to minor illnesses that spiraled out of control. It went from a, a nerve pain to debilitating, crippling, chronic pain to suicidal thoughts and behavior to extreme drug addiction to death. So had that thing been dealt with when it was small, those people would still be with me. And he says, I used to be very cautious and do the minimal amount of care, but when it comes to family and friends, I go all out. Whatever the problem is, I want to eliminate it now. And I said, you know, I get it. He said, I've lost too much, Z. I've lost too many. And he said, so many times, something seemingly insignificant 
be it a disagreement, be it an injury, a scuff, can spiral into something catastrophic. So put all hands on deck when it's small. Let's correct it and move forward. So too with us with self-awareness. All hands on deck. Open up your eyes. Open your mind. Learn yourself. Know yourself. Clear yourself up. And then from that place, from that place, uh, hold on, the wife just walked in with boxes. Does she need help? Do you need help? You sure? Where are the kids? Okay, bye-bye. Oh, that was weird. Okay, that was a surprise. Probably she hated me. Then she brings me tea. So anyway, it takes just a little bit, but constant little bit, to be diligent. We have practices that we do. Um, sun salutations, Surya Namaskar. Every day I sit at the edge of my bed and just say, I woke, I'm here, let's get this day started. I do my best at the end of each day to be done with the issues of the day. Starting the day anew. We woke up, we're still above ground, we're still present. Millions of people enter into the valley of death every day. Replacements are entering our world every moment. In Japan, they're going through a social crisis. And they're encouraging everybody over 75 to commit suicide. There's a discussion about it, a rational discussion. We have structured our society to promote workaholicism, right? to be about the company. It made us a strong nation after World War II, but we have nothing left in terms of our humanity and we have no means of caring for our elderly who gave us everything. But we don't have the character, we did not instill the character of reverence and caring into the young. We can't now turn around and expect them to care for us when we didn't care for them other than to work, to labor, to invest in materialization. And now that reckoning moment has come rather quickly. So we're going to be asking the elderly to kill yourselves because we can't take care of you. How about that? How about having that conversation yeah. with your mom and dad? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in fairness, that was one dude. It was some the Yale professor. I don't know if this is a widespread discussion. It's been a it's been a discussion for years. There's it's it's already in. There's a number of European countries that have uh, euthanasia as an option, and if you listen, it's encouraging because I believe the causality. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I look at causality. That's all. What do we expect? And here's the problem, then, when we look at that and we try to think of it as being so far out of the norm, what did we expect? And I'm going to close with this. I'm just going to close with this as a, as, as a challenge to all of us. 
what did we expect when we put androzine on all of our food? So all of our food has been coated with atrazine. You know what atrazine is? I'm looking it up. Caitlin's looking it up. I want everybody to look up atrazine. What did we expect? So when we talk about identity, owning yourself, being your own candle, having self-identity, not someone else's identity. Let us know who we are. What is it, Caitlin? Atrazine is a herbicide used on commercial crops and included in commonly used lawn care products. It is the second most commonly used pesticide or herbicide in the U.S. It is gender morphing. It is a gender morphing pesticide. Oh, yeah, science. Do you see that? <clears throat> it morphs the gender of the creature so as it won't breed. It, yeah, and increases the conversion of testosterone into estrogens, especially estriodol. What's that? Yeah, precursor to estrogen. Oh, okay. So as we're thinking about this topic, I, I want people to see where it ties in. Yeah. You can define yourself or others can define you. If you have no sense of self, you're always looking out into the window or the mirror of others to reflect upon you who you are. Their mirrors are not clear. They're opaque. They're distorted. They're filters. And what you see back through their view of you isn't you. It's what they want you to be. And now you're trying to convolute and create and twist and contort to make it all seem right. Something is rotten right now. This particular, I'm using this example, this particular chemical is liberally used on foods in order to convert the insects sexuality so they don't breed. We're eating that and been eating that suddenly for 20 years. Other research, I'm sorry to talk about this topic, but maybe there's something from reading all these ancient philosophy books all my life that I see a pattern, that's all. I don't have harsh judgments or um, kind of like sexual morality things or any of that that people have. I think people's sex is their business. Uh, we do what you like. You know, I came from that group. But also boundaries and, and not imposing ideas on people or, or trying to force people into accepting. You don't need anybody to accept you. Just be you. Uh, I, I believe in segregation. I really believe in it. I think people should be around people they like. That you can't make people like other people. You can't force people to go along with other people's religions, ideas, and cultures and do it enthusiastically if you have to put it at the end of a barrel or at the threat of loss of livelihood. That's why we don't know who we are anymore. We're trying to survive and our livelihoods are maybe feels uh, threatened or whatever. So they have so much of this stuff going on. I don't, don't even get into the study of male uh, 
sperm counts and genitalia morphing. My God, they had an article that day that said they, they're finding men are growing clitoris-type material in their penis. This is from the food you're eating. It has nothing to do with, with anything else. And you like what you like because I'm sure people get drunk and start to like people they don't like. We know that there's some way that what you eat and drink influences your behavior and thoughts. Let us just consider it. Don't knock anybody. There are more mass killings in America right now than there are days in the year. I think one day this month, or last month, there were there were four shootings in a day. People are mad, crazy, their hormones are raging, they have no outlet, no clarity of intention. Uh, they just blew up a pipeline somewhere, the Nord Stream pipeline, the US government did it, found out about it, then they start chasing balloons through the air. People, come on. If you've ever been to a damn high school science class, you sent up a meteorological weather balloon. They're shooting million dollar, half million and million dollar missiles at weather balloons. But they said that it was this part of their spy program. Is that just propaganda? I mean, I no. Don't know. I don't even know. No, it's, it's just weapons of mass distraction, Caitlin. You can buy the balloons on eBay. Okay, and, and, and people are buying it. And here's the thing. If you don't know yourself, you get sucked into more of this. Let's say just for shits and giggles, hypothetically, that there were UFOs visiting Earth. And your first reflex is to go and shoot it out of the sky. What do you think happens next? If an extraterrestrial could travel many light years through infinite space to check us out and we start blowing them up? Wonder what you thought, think that'll turn out. That's your first greeting? Mm -hmm. We've seen an unified light object and we successfully shot it down. Why? Do you understand that we can't think anymore? That's all I'm saying. It's like we can't think anymore. It's not bothering anybody. Who owns space? Things floating up 60,000 feet in there. I've lost a few balloons, haven't you? <laughs> they don't, come on. Do you think China really cares? Well, they already are spying on us or distracting us with TikTok. <clears throat> it just came out that all Amazon phones do that. Yeah. Are you going to stop buying Amazon phones? No. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Apple phones do it too. Oh, yeah. I get the notifications. Okay. <laughs> they can spy on me. I'm not that interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but we can't think like that. That takes a lot of energy to spy on people. You're not that interesting. So they go to a few emails and look at your porn search content. That's all they got. J. Edgar Hoover did that. The head of the FBI did that in the USA for 50 years. We got to know ourselves. We got to be our own candle. 
That's my thoughts on it. Bye, Vin. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think it's a, a good place to end. There is a lot of craziness. Uh, some of this we understand, some we don't. Some maybe you could argue it doesn't even matter. It's kind of like why be a part of it. Uh, your point about distractions, I think that's spot on. It's a way to keep people emotionally charged, keep them focused on something else, forgetting about the bigger issues that actually affect their lives. And even if you can't do anything about the bigger issues, it prevents you from taking agency over yourself and taking charge of yourself and doing things that lead to contentment, that lead to just enjoying whatever time we have. So, yeah, yeah, let's put this all aside. I mean, maybe we won't know whether it's an alien or a weather balloon or uh, who the hell knows what. It might not matter. But if we can put these distractions aside, go back uh, to just living, uh, to just taking charge of ourselves. In my view, that's uh, the best path to take. And we can make changes more readily when we do that. We can evolve. We can adjust. We can switch things up a little bit because we're really clear on who we are. Okay? If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.